This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hey everyone, Tim McMaster here along with our MLB.com Mets reporter Anthony DeComo. And Anthony, the words everybody or every Met fan I think has been waiting to hear at some point is Matt Harvey is back. And and we at least got a taste of that on Monday. He certainly looked good. Seven innings, two hits, uh, seven scoreless innings. Uh, he struck out six and he only walked one. And, and the great effort comes after a, a mechanical tweak. How much of his performance on Monday can we put on that change in his mechanics? You know, I don't know. I, I think the mechanics aspect of it is a little overblown. Um, and not to say there's not something to that. Certainly there is. But that's not the only reason why Matt Harvey struggled. Um, I, I think there was definitely a big mental aspect to it. Uh, I think there might have even been a fatigue, a dead arm aspect to it. Uh, we've seen him and, and pretty much every pitcher go through that sort of thing in the past. So that's why I think this was so hard for Matt Harvey to correct, if he has indeed corrected it. And um, just because it's more than one thing. Um, I do think the mechanics helped. I think he understands that part of it and obviously knew what he was doing wrong. Um, But it's going to be uh, more than just that. He needs to mentally continue to wrap his head around what he needs to do. And uh, frankly, he said it best himself, I thought, was, this is one start, and it means nothing if I don't continue to go out there and do it. So uh, for me, I'll be looking out there five days later. I'll be looking out five days after that. And if you can string two, three, four, a month, a month and a half, two months worth of, of good starts, then all of a sudden you're looking at, hey, Matt Harvey is indeed back and, and back to where the Mets knew he could be. Yeah, it certainly needs to become the norm and not the exception. Um, I think one thing that, that is at least encouraging, other than, you know, whatever you can take from the mechanical change, is that his fastball velocity seemed to be back uh, where about where it was a year ago. And it seems like if he has that, it kind of makes every pitch better, right? The change-up's a little better, and, and everything's a little better if his fastball is popping. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a huge part of what was, um, of what was dogging him a little bit. And, uh, you know, people around the team love to downplay velocity and, and say it really doesn't matter. And that's true to a certain extent but when you're used to pitching your whole life at 95 96 and you're able to reach back for 98 when you need it and then all of a sudden you're down to 92 93 and the most you can reach back for is like a 95 it makes a difference but when you're not used to that and you're not used to pitching in that way um not that there's anything wrong with 93 uh, that's plenty good enough to succeed in the big leagues but uh, I think it was a little bit of an adjustment period for Matt Harvey for, for not having that really good fastball that we have come know from him and uh yeah how he got it back again it, it, i think it was partially mechanics i think it was partially the fact that his arm was probably a little tired and now that we're getting into midsummer and it's hot every day um you know i'm walking around this morning and, and sweating because it's 
up in the 80s every day, I think that plays a role. It all plays a role. And uh, I think that w- would certainly be, if that did play into it, a, a good news for Matt Harvey to keep this going because it's not going to cool off anytime soon. No, the, the heat is here to stay. Uh, yeah, and, you know, 98, you get away with more. I think that's the biggest difference. You miss with 93, and you get punished a little more than, than missing your spot at 98. All right, let's let's uh, let's move to the bullpen and Jay Reese Familia, who all season long has been getting a lot of use. He's leading the league with as far as appearances go. Uh, and Friday night was a situation, Anthony, where ninth inning, four-run lead against the Dodgers, and in comes Familia, um, and, and obviously a non-save situation. You can argue the whole thing with closers coming in non-save situations and seeming to struggle. I don't, I don't know where that comes from, but he did struggle, and they did end up losing the lead. Thankfully, they, Curtis Granderson bails them out with a walk-off in the bottom of the ninth, but at some point, doesn't there need to be a little trust by Terry Collins and the other guys down in that bullpen? Yeah, for sure, and I think that's. I think it all sort of binds together. I mean, if you look at how Terry Collins has managed this bullpen uh, throughout his time here, but but particularly and specifically this year, um, even when Jiris Familia was pitching really, really, really well in April and into early May, uh, he was being used a lot. And, and Terry Collins was turning to him night after night with a five-run lead, with a six-run lead. You would see him getting up in the bullpen and warming as soon as, you know, the on-deck, 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 on-deck guy is the potential tying run. And it was all well and good in April when, um, you know, when, when it, he was having success. But I think uh, I think you have to look back and look at his workload last year. I think you have to look at how much Jerry Sumlin gets through. And, you know, it was a plan for the Mets. We talk a lot about the starting pitchers, about Syndergaard and Harvey and DeGrom and all these guys. We talk so much about how important it was going to be to limit their innings both in spring training early in the year to make sure that they would be able to last a long summer. Uh, that went for Familia as well. He was a part of that, and the Mets talked about wanting to limit him, but they hadn't done it. So I, I think you're sort, sort of seeing the effects of that a little bit now. You're seeing a guy who pitched a career high in innings last year, who didn't get many days off, pitched deep into October, and you're seeing a guy that really hasn't had a break at all coming into this year. Um, I think you can, it can affect a reliever as much as it can a starter. And I think more than just a non-save situation, adrenaline not being up, blah, 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 I think that's what we're looking at with Familia is the guy who's pitched a real lot, and the Mets might have to back him off and, like you said, start trusting in some of their other guys because the rest of the bullpen, to a man, has been really, really good. Yeah, there's no reason not to trust them. And he so he threw a ton of pitches on Friday. Uh, then he came back, pitched Sunday, and he got the save Monday night. So it's certainly a point where – you just got to give the guy a little bit of rest. Um, the other big thing that came from that Dodgers series was just, I mean, what can you say about Chase Utley? I mean, he's he's entering Chipper Jones territory, I think, as far as Mets fans go. But he destroyed him the whole series. And then, obviously, the strange situation that Syndergaard throws behind him immediately ejected. And that brings up the bigger point of, does there need to be more of a, a standard for which umpires go by? Because that seemed like the obvious situation where warnings should be sent out. He didn't even hit Utley, and yet in the third inning of a game, Noah Syndergaard's out, and the the Dodgers ha- or the Mets have to go to their bullpen. Um, can't there be something where where there's an official rule here where hey, you can't eject the guy that quickly? 
Yeah, or, or you can, and you do it all the time. I mean, I, I would sort of lean towards, of course, like you said, that you can't do it that quickly, but I think you hit the nail on the head right there, and I think that, more than anything, is why people were and continue to be upset is because there is no standard across baseball. And, and you look at just this season alone, whether it's Jose Bautista up in Toronto or, uh, you know, Phil Hughes, I remember, threw behind a batter a couple of times and nothing happened. Um, you just go around the league, and there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason. It just depends on which crew is, is working the series, what umpire is behind home plate, and, uh, you know, what their mood happens to be that day. And I think you're right. If you're going to do something as drastic as eject a guy in the third inning of a game, which can not only affect you that night, but can really screw you up for a week more than that as you try and figure out your pitching, your bullpen, line things up uh, when, when you think you're going to get seven innings out of a guy and you get two and, and change. Um, yeah, I think there needs to be some sort of standard. I think teams need to know going in, um, hey, if I do this, this is if I do X, Y and Z are going to happen. And I, I think, um, you know, to a certain extent that might, I think maybe one of the reasons why baseball, I should say, does not want to do that is because if a pitcher thinks, oh, I'm just going to get a warning, maybe they go and they take justice into their own hands a little more often. Um, but I'm not sure that's the case because I, I think baseball players certainly aren't stupid and, and what goes around comes around in this game and they have very long memories. So, uh, I think these things are going to happen, and they're going to take care of themselves regardless of what the punishment is. Um, but I do think just sort of um, standardizing that punishment and, and making it so that players know what they're going to get could go a long way uh, towards at least eliminating some of the angst that comes out of these situations when they do happen. Yeah, and it seemed like in, in ways it made things worse, the way it was handled. It threw more into the conversation and really kept the storyline that's been going since October going yeah. a couple more days. All right, so David Wright is hurt again, but it's not his back, but it's kind of his back because it's a slip disc, which it's his neck. But anyway, beyond all that, uh, obviously David Wright is a point in a point in his career where, where he's dealing with this stuff. He's always dealing with the back, and it seems like other stuff creeps up. Is he going to be able to avoid the disabled list here with this neck issue, do you think? No, I don't think so. No. And, you know, he might well be on it by the time this podcast goes <laughs> live. Um, I, I think this is almost more disappointing for David Wright than, than any of the back stuff because he knew coming into this year that the back stuff was going to be a part of his life for the rest of his career, really beyond his career. And it was something that he was getting a sense for how to handle, uh, for how to play through. And all things considered, I, th I had played through it pretty well. He had had some bad stretches. But on the whole, uh, considering his condition, I think being out there as much as he was and being as productive as he had been um, was a nice little feather in the cap of David Wright. Now, all of a sudden, for another injury to come up, an injury that may or may not be related to the back, um, an injury that's in an uh, area that you really don't like to see medical procedures being performed and so on and so forth, uh, I think that's really a blow to him and to the Mets, um, especially if it is something that winds up uh, being related to, to the back condition in any way. Uh, I think it's just another reminder of how fragile David Wright is at this point in his career. Um, he's 33 years old. He's, it's not going to get any easier for him as he gets into his mid-30s. And um, yeah, it's just a tough situation all around for him, for the Mets, and uh, they hope they caught this one early enough that, you know, regardless of DL stint or not, 
you will be able to return sooner rather than later and, and resume what had been, like I said, a, a reasonably productive season for him. Yeah, it comes at the worst time. He had actually homered in three straight games for him uh, after his shot on Friday night, and now on the shelf once again. All right, as always, great stuff, Anthony. This has been MLB.com Extras, our Mets edition. For Anthony DiComo, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next week. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go every night on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.